Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Previously, on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. tweeted at me. He said, Gary, we don't want you on our train. Please stay off, hater. I am on your train. In fact, I'm going to drive your train. I'm now the driver of the Illinois train. Is, is this a hostage takeover situation now? Yes. I didn't, want, I didn't want to do this, all right, all right. but now you're telling me I can't. And I don't like to be told what I can and cannot do. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> hey there. It's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. We promised you a mailbag episode. We're going to give you a mailbag episode, but... <sighs> I think we have to start with my inability to drive the Illinois train. I wanted to do it. I, I thought I, I thought I could do it. But the truth is that ever since I named myself the uh, conductor, the captain of the Illinois train, it's, it's been. I, I actually think you called yourself the engineer first. <laughs> that, was that was the first sign. <laughs> it's just tough. It's, it's uh, tougher than I thought, you know, sometimes. Sometimes things are tougher than they seem from a distance, and I'm finding that out the hard way. It's been a lot of bad stuff for Illinois since I, I declared myself the captain of the Illinois train. They're one and two since that day with a 16-point loss at home to Penn State, and then Thursday night's 22-point loss in St. Louis to Missouri. Final score, Mizzou 93, Illinois 71. Deadleg, I'm, I, I might be – in fact, I, I'm sure I am an expert in extortion, mm. um, a podcast doctor, and an effective advocator for premarital sex. But this train driving stuff has proven challenging. What What do you suggest I do now? Because uh, this is a tough spot for me to be in. You're done. I find myself <laughs> in a tough spot once again. You know what's it's wild? It's off the tracks. We're done. 
You know what's You're wild? done. You're banned. It's not happening. I don't even uh, atrocious. I mean, of all the things that you have latched yourself to Whew. and proclaimed providence over this Illinois thing right now. It's been it's been nothing but terrible news since you decided that you were going to you're going to take the train in a hostage situation, take it over. And it's right off the tracks, man. What in the world? They were not. And listen, credit to absolute credit to Missouri for playing well, coming back. That is a tremendous win. Biggest win by margin for Missouri in the history of the Bragg and rights game. So so credit. Dennis Gates has done a wonderful job, had a terrible non-conference schedule, as previously mentioned. No shame in that. First year coach, high major program. You don't need to load up in the non-con in year one. We'll never fault a coach for not doing that. Uh, but getting this win and kind of atoning for getting blown out at home against Kansas, I, I think it does say more about Missouri slightly than Illinois, although Illinois has its issues, and they're the focus of this opener here before we get to a, a sleigh-sized uh, batch of, of, of listener questions here. But Mizzou 11-1, and one, and they'll play home against Kentucky next week. We'll talk about that on a future episode, and we'll give your Tigers some even more love. Illinois, Underwood, got no clips of Underwood for this episode. We, we did that on a previous one, obviously. But afterward, he said, this team does not have my signature. It is not tough. We are not trusting each other. And Illinois has not pulled off two consecutive wins in a row uh, since it beat Syracuse on November 29th. And really, if you go back to the Virginia game, it's been loss, win, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Eight and four now, not a top 25 team. It is bizarre. There's no doubt about it. Uh, when they beat Texas on December 6th, and I was there at the Garden, you know, that team was obviously like all smiles, and it was such a great vibe. They actually were given the, uh, the way the Garden works. They were, there are four locker rooms for these four-team MTEs, and there's one small one that's just off the side. It's not like all the other three. It's by far the smallest locker room, and so one team always gets the short stick. Weirdly enough, UCLA had that locker room at the CBS Sports Classic, but you're, you're, when you walk out of it, you're kind of right there in the back, like with, with all the workers. You're not as off to the side as, as the Knicks locker room and the other two primary locker rooms. So uh, I bring that up to say Illinois, Illinois was just hanging out. They were just they were milling about, and uh, the team was you know, getting their postgame meals. The coaches were there. I talked with the assistants. I talked with Underwood. And the vibe of that team and that environment was so positive, and it seemed to be like they were really – figuring some stuff out there, particularly after fighting well in the road loss against Maryland. But then they get drilled by Penn State at home. They win against Alabama A&M, but they don't play well. And even afterward, the players speak about how many issues they're having. And then it's just, it was basically unwatchable. Illinois was worse. I, t- I tweeted this Thursday night. They're worse than the Jets, man. And, and they've got a ton of work to do. And I, this was a team I picked to win the Big Ten. I was wrong. I was wrong. They're not winning the Big Ten, dude. This team is not going to win the Big Ten. Not, not with the way that they're looking right now. And they need, uh, they need a whole hell of a lot of work. We'll see if they can get it in order. But, um, but still, despite all that, I blame you. You took over this train, and this is all your fault. The frustrating part is had I just stuck to my guns from the very beginning, I'd be sitting pretty right now. I, 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 in the, in, I had Illinois outside of the top 25 and one to start this season. I had Illinois projected to finish sixth in the Big Ten. If I had just stayed there... I'm looking good right now because Illinois is now, as of Friday morning, out of the top 25 and one. And as of Friday morning, Kim Palm projects Illinois to go 10 and 10 in the Big Ten, finish tied for seventh in the league. All I had to do was just shut up, just stick with my preseason projections and just shut up 
and ignore, just pretend the whole victory over Texas thing didn't happen. Instead, got caught up in the moment, looked great against Texas. I said, you know what? I'm going to drive the Illinois train now. And now look what's happened. Now I'm wrong. Now I've been, people were telling me I was wrong on the front end. Now people are telling me I'm wrong again. I could have just been right if I had just shut up. I need to learn to shut up. I'm just going to shut up for a second. You go ahead and talk. I got. <laughs> That's pretty much. How about this? Bad couple of nights for the Big Ten because you had Illinois losing the way it did. And then we have no Iowa related questions coming here. So we have to mention this. Eastern Illinois going into Iowa, going into Iowa and winning that game 92-83 after being projected as what? A 31 and a half point underdog being ranked in the bottom 20 of Ken Palm overall. EIU, 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 one and nine against Division One teams going into that game. Illinois beat that team by 30. <laughs> they were ranked 350th in the net. 31 and a half point underdog, the biggest money line win in, in more than three decades, according to, you know, multiple sources I, I saw. We had not, it had been at least 30 years since a, a team that big of an underdog. Not UMBC wasn't that. It's actually the it's the 40 year anniversary today. Happy Festivus, everyone of Chaminade beating number one ranked Virginia with Ralph Sampson. And that's considered the greatest upset in the history of, of college troops. If it's not that UMBC, but, for, you know, because Iowa's is not a top 10 team, you know, it doesn't register at, like people are going to not even remember this in two months. I, I get all that, but I just wanted to bring up um, because it happened. What Wednesday? I'm losing track of my days here, buddy. But uh but a, a tough couple of days for our two Big Ten teams that, you know, a week and a half ago were, were thinking they were going to be a better spot. Iowa's also 8-4, and four, and similar to Illinois, since November 26th, this is Iowa's schedule. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Next up, they got to walk into Pinnacle. Things are going to turn for the better. They're walking into Pinnacle next Thursday, the 29th. So, uh, yeah, so a tough uh, couple of goes of it, man. But that, that Eastern Illinois one it dropped Iowa – from 21 to 38 that night in Ken Palm. 17-point drop, which is damn significant when you're that high in the rankings there. That's, that's different than going from like 225 to 245. You go from, from 21 down to damn near 40 after one loss, home one. Shouts to Marty Simmons. Shouts to Eastern Illinois. But Iowa and Illinois, got, uh, they got plenty of things to, to think about here as they get ready to unwrap some presents on December 25. Illinois dropped from 19 to 31 at Ken Palm overnight after that loss to Missouri and dropped from 23 to 43 in the net overnight after that loss to Missouri. I woke up this morning. I Googled worst train accidents in history. Oh boy. And I read about the great train wreck of 1918. You remember that one? Not even close. Not a chance. Happened in Nashville, Tennessee on the West side, two passenger trains collided and at least 101 people died. Man, we got we got a Christmas episode here. This is what you're bringing to the table right now. I just wanted to see what I was up against. In, in well, this is this, this is worse. You think? Yes, you, yes, 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 yes. I mean, no, nobody's dead except for Terrence Shannon's National Player of the Year hopes in Illinois season, practically. In Illinois season, practically. David Allen Coe recorded a song called "The Great Nashville Railroad Disaster." He's still with us, by the way, 83 years old now. Do you think we could get David Allen Coe to record a song about how I've run the Illinois train off the tracks? <laughs> Grab one of those guitars behind you. 
Let's write a song about the great Illinois railroad disaster of 2022. <laughs> do you know anything that rhymes with RJ Melendez? No, I do not. <laughs> that's tough. That's a that's the tough part. Oh, that's the goodness. tough part. It's a it's a it's a tough part. Shouts to Missouri, like you said. In all seriousness, Dennis Gates, eleven and one, went over Illinois. Long loss to Kansas. It was bad, but still, um, Missouri shot up from sixty fifth to forty first in the net, from fifty ninth to forty third at Ken Palm. You could reasonably rank Missouri right now. I did not. I added San Diego State to replace Illinois' spot in the top twenty five and one. But if you wanted to make a case for Missouri. Um, you know, no bad losses other than a lopsided loss. They have a lopsided loss, but it's a loss to Kansas. So it's not, uh, you know, that's going to be in quad one. And they don't have uh, probably any great wins other than the Illinois win, but they do have the Illinois win. And Illinois has got a couple of, uh, of, of, you know, Illinois has got some, some significant wins on its, on its resume. So, uh, the, you know, you mentioned Missouri's next game is next Wednesday against Kentucky and boy, that's going to be quite the scene. I bet if you're John Calipari, the last thing you wanted to see last night is Missouri uh, beat Kansas. I mean, beat Illinois the way it beat Illinois, because now you know um, that crowd is going to be popping. Um, you know, when 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 John's Wildcats come there, and you know, Kentucky. I'm not saying they can't go there and win. Of course, they can go there and win, but um, they they've been vulnerable this season, is well documented, and that's a. Uh, that's a tough ask right after Christmas to go play this Missouri team coming off of this win on the road. Green, you ready to uh, you ready to dish out some presents here, my man? Yeah, let's uh, let's answer some mailbag questions. But first, hmm. word Santa. from our, word from our partners. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Christmas Eve is uh, Saturday. Christmas is Sunday. We don't have enough interesting games uh, for the final four and one. So I'm just going to hold on to my lead over Norlander until next can we, week. No, Can we get that update, Nada? No games to pick. Can we get the update? What's the score? You got that, Nada? I think I'm ahead. Not I might be digging. I have it if you don't, my man. 
I'm pretty I sure. I do I'm have it. I do have it. Um, Norlander, you are 18 and 12. Mm. And GP, you are exactly at 500 at 15 and 15. 15 and 15. That's not bad. That's like an all-time record for me. Come it on, is. Man. Yeah. I'm doing Come better on. than I'm doing better than Tesla stock. <laughs> that's that's correct. Considering you just crashed an entire bandwagon, yeah. I wouldn't go bragging about anything yet. Yeah, doing better than Tesla stock. That's true. That is yeah. that is true. Um, to anyone watching, we might squeeze a couple of uh, live questions here on at the end. We've got plenty that were emailed in. We'll have a few video ones as well. Um, by the way, first one's not a question. I just have to mention this. Mike from Massachusetts writes, my son applied to UMass Lowell with the hopes of studying music. He told the music department director he wanted to study there because of the connection to Elvis. The director scratched his head and informed us Elvis did not matriculate at UMass Lowell. Someone is disingenuous. What gives GP? Love the pod. Smashed the like button like Brandon Davies. Again, not a question. Uh, My question is uh, facetious email or do we actually think this happened? I will tell you I have gotten lots of tweets or facebook messages or emails from people over the past couple of years who have gotten genuinely gotten into a conversation about El- about UMass Lowell and it leads to Elvis and then the other party is confused and it leads to like a, no look it up i think Elvis really did go to school there like it leads to these types of conversations so um i don't know if you i guess the where i would call respectfully where i would respectfully call bs maybe on this one is that would you really decide to go to umass lowell because of elvis presley <laughs> would you really do that someone might be out there man i mean maybe I believe it. maybe but i appreciate anytime elvis presley gets mentioned with umass lowell it uh it makes me smile all right let's get to the first question this is from terry he's uh he's in indianapolis he writes a longtime listener my favorite story is the Bobby Knight Carnegie Deli story <laughs> from GP. That's a true story. Gary talked a bit ago about how low-ranked the Purdue team is, according to the recruiting services. Do you attribute their success more to Painter's ability to evaluate talent, Painter's system, Purdue's player development, or otherwise? Would be interested in the average recruit ranking of Purdue versus the rest of, versus the rest of the top 25. I th- honestly think it's all the above. I think Matt, obviously, and his staff have a – um, a talent for um, finding guys who will fit their culture and what they want to do, regardless of where they're ranked. Matt has actually talked publicly about this uh, many times, uh, but uh, you know, the player development stuff has to be there as well. Like Zach Eady was not this version of, of himself last season. He has gotten obviously and undeniably better. So I really do think just about every explanation Terry throughout uh, applies to Purdue. They, they, they recruit to their culture. They recruit, um, you know, regardless of, of the number beside the name. And then they really know how to build and, and develop and, um, and, and, and turn it into something consistently good. And this is a season where, you know, they've reached the point where it, it looks like it's, you know, consistently great. I would say, yeah, if you want to say it's a little bit of all of the above, that's that's fine. Obviously, I included this one because it's relevant uh, more than ever with with Purdue being arguably the best team in the country right now. You have remind me, I've got UConn number one in my power rankings. You have Purdue one, top twenty five. I've, I've got Purdue one, but the only okay. reason it's easy to defend, by the way, Purdue has more 
good wins than yes. UConn has. UConn's just been over more overwhelming for its opponents, so it's easily defensible. But the truth is, I have you. I have Purdue ahead of UConn only because Purdue got there first. And then uh, I wasn't going to drop Purdue from number one just because UConn was blew out somebody else. As I've noted many times, Purdue and UConn will stay one and two in that order until one of them loses. Uh, it is Painter's a really good evaluator. Uh, the system is good. He has, and this is just my own perspective on this, uh, having talked to him about this a couple times over the past, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, has as much confidence and comfortability in trusting his evaluations and his staff's evaluations on the trail and not really paying any attention or having any care whatsoever to recruiting rankings. Now there are other coaches who take the similar approach, but when it really gets down to it and you start recruiting these players and then you find out who you may or may not be recruiting against, uh, I think it's human nature. And some coaches have shared privately, you know, that occasionally they might think, well, what am I missing here? Painter has a North star that he follows there when it comes to development. I mean, Somewhat, yes. That brings me to my one and only trivia time on this episode. Trivia time, you ready? Come on, bring, yes, bring. How many painter-coached Purdue players, we're talking about player development right now, how many painter-coached Purdue players, say that three times fast, have logged at least three years in the NBA, and what? We, and I am going to grandfather Jade and Ivy into that total. He is almost definitely going to log at least three years, so he will be included even though he's not there yet have logged at least three years in the NBA. How many players that came out of Purdue and were coached by Painter? How many? Five. You should walk off right now. Bingo. Got it. Here are the five. Well done. Well done, GP. Thank there have been more than five that have made the NBA, but only five to this point. If you grandfather in Jaden Ivey, it's technically four right now. They are Carl Landry, Etwan Moore, the late Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace. Carson Edwards just got there and Ivy. So, yes, there is some player development, but it's not as though he is getting guys that are four stars, three stars. And we look up and it's like, damn, you know, that guy's now been in the league eight years. That's actually not been the case. So for the college level specifically, Painter's been able to do that. And it's been uh, it's been pretty impressive. Next question. By the way, thank you to everyone who sent in uh, email shouts to cbs at gmail.com. A couple of these are actually uh, a few weeks old. I didn't want to ignore some previous ones. So we got some fresh ones and we got some older ones there. And uh, continue to send them and we'll hit them on future episodes. Again, shouts to cbs at gmail.com. We've got a few video ones coming as well. Ira Pillar from Sweetwater, Florida writes, Steve Peichel's, and this is kind of similar to the Painter one, which is why I put him back to back. Steve Peichel's approach to is to recruit undervalued players who are not necessarily highly rated. Ron Harper Jr., Geo Baker are two examples. He will recruit a top talent like Cliff Omarui, but he has shunned the portal for the most part, preferring to develop the roster to his style. And while I admire his system, it has been successful to a point. We all know that talent still rules. So is this sustainable in the new college basketball landscape? Here's why I included this email. I'm a Rutgers graduate and followed the team since my freshman year in 1966. Yes, I'm 73 years old. Shouts to Ira Pillar from Sweetwater, Florida. I very much enjoy the fact we've got a lot of different, uh, uh, different folks, different walks of life, ages, genders represented on this in this mailbag. So that's really, really awesome. I love the fact that we've got septuagenarians listening to this pod. Uh, GP, hmm. I've got here are my quick thoughts. To me, he asked if it's sustainable. To me, sustainable is all about what school you're at, the expectation of the fan base, and what your historical track record shows. So at Rutgers, for Peichel, it is sustainable, similar to how 
What Painter's doing at Purdue, obviously sustainable. Sustainable at Rutgers is making the tournament once every four seasons. If you do that, which Pykele may well wind up doing, they're going to build a statue of you. It's not sustainable at Kentucky, Kansas, even Washington, Oklahoma State, Creighton. It's not sustainable there. But for Rutgers specifically, what he's doing there, I think it is sustainable. Your thoughts? What do you think rhymes with R.J. Melendez? Mm. It's just can't stop thinking about that. My instincts are to say that recruiting in a traditional way, bringing guys on your campus, developing them over multiple years, and building everything into something of significance is very difficult with the one-time transfer waiver and name, image, and likeness. If I were coaching these days, I don't think that's the approach I would be going with. But, and you, you, you noted this, Look at who's ranked number one in the country, Purdue. And they're kind of built that way, you know, just by recruiting in a traditional way and developing over time and, you know, meshing it into something of significance. So I I guess the actual answer is that anything is sustainable if you're good at your job and you know what you're doing and and how to do it. Um, There's a, you know, in, in college basketball, at least, there's a whole bunch of different styles that went on the court. And I think there's a whole bunch of different approaches that can, can work uh, off the court as it pertains to building your program. And um, I, I think Steve's been terrific at, at Rutgers. Like he's they, he has built that into a legitimate, um, you know, that used to be a, a place where like you just assume, well, we we're at Rutgers. We're going to, that's a win. And now you can't, ever assume that that's a quality basketball program and um it, it is that it, it, largely if not entirely because of the way steve's done his job all right what's your question this is from uh R- russ from the uh, boneyard he writes uh if you made a lineup of zach Eady, adama sanogo oscar shibwe azulis tabellas and drew timmy how many games do they win in say the big east if you're worried about depth you got Donovan Klingon, Kyle Filipowski, and Armando Baycott on the bench. So how many games? I, I, I don't know. Here's what I would say. I love would this you, question, by the would way. Would you rather have – if you take a team of five great college bigs right, and five great college guards and you put them against each other, who wins? I think the guards win. Probably so, but I'm going to – for everyone that might have been listening but not listening all the way, again, this is the starting five. Edie, Sonogo, Shibwe, Tabellis, and Timmy, and we're putting them in the Big East, all right? And then you've got Klingon, Filipowski, and Baycott off the bench. Okay, Russ from the Boneyard, wonderful question there. Who's running the point? I think Timmy's playing point guard. Like, who's playing point? Defensively, I mean, there's some strengths and there's some weaknesses. And if we're doing this and they're in the Big East – is Sonogo going up against Sonogo with UConn? We got a double Sonogo, a double Klingon situation here. It's complicated. Multiverse theory comes into play here. I don't even know. I would say this. To answer the question, I would say that team goes 13-7 and seven in the Big East. It will lose. You can't have just – you cannot play. They could not win 13 games in the Big East. That's crazy. They get no guards. <laughs> Look at the size of this team. Edie Shibway, national player, last year's national player of the year, this year's national player of the year. Sonogo can shoot. Tubelis is good in space. Timmy is awesome on the block and condition pass. 
Klingon off the bench. Baycott, amazing rebounder. Filipowski's got some some space to his game. They're winning. Now, if you take this team and then you say you're going to play the eight best guards, then I'm going to say this team over a 20-game sample size goes 2-18. and 18. But you're playing a team that's also going to play bigs because it's not going to have all these talented guards. I go 13 and seven in the biggies with this group. No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, who knows? GP, I know you need guard play. Don't get me wrong. It's not like this team is absent playmaking capability, ball handling capability, and at least some spacing with some guys who can kind of shoot from deep. I, I, this is Edie Sonogo, Shibway, Tabellis, Timmy, Klingon, Filipowski, and Baycott. You're talking about eight of <laughs> eight of the 25 best players in the country. That team is winning more than 10 games in the Big East. Somebody, I'm sorry. It just is. Somebody in the comments said they'll probably just beat Georgetown twice. It's oh. <laughs> amazing. Um, I think the NBA has taught us it, you, you are you are better off being small than you are being big. And and like when when teams go small the big teams have to adjust to that and traditional bigs get, get played off the court. And so I'm going to assume something similar would happen in this, uh, in this hypothetical, but obviously who knows? All right, you're up next. All right. Um, we've got four video questions. Nada, you can tee this up in a second, by the way, anyone that submitted the video one, I guess you're getting paramount plus gift card. You're watching top gun. Just hit the streaming service. You're watching top gun on Christmas. So congrats to all who did. I think Nada's taking care of actually how that's getting dished out. Nada, go out. GP and I have no idea what's coming, so let's queue up the first video question. See what we got. Absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna start with the mascots. We're we're already in ridiculous territory. Why not continue to go that way? Dead leg and dead eye. This is Josh from Austin, Texas. Is there a collegiate mascot that either freaks you out or even freaks your kids out? This is easy. This is a the one seed. You already know it, GP. Say it. The uh, Providence. Come on, man. The Providence Friar. Genuinely terrifying. Old school Purdue Pete, by the way, also in that category. The new one, not as much. Come on now. I, I'll, I'll tell you one, and maybe it's because I was just there, but it, it just still blows my mind. Okay. That St. Joe's Hawk. It's, it's never stopping. It won't stop. It's just like this the whole time. The whole time. Have you ever tried to do this for like two hours straight? No, it's not, not a chance. No. Uh, who is who is in that Hulk costume? The Hulk RJ, 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 well, RJ. What if RJ Melendez is in that Hulk costume? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Look at this. Like I'm already worn out. I already need to. I I already, I'm already in. I'm already tired. How do you do that nonstop? It is. It's genuinely impressive. One of those great, great, great college traditions. And I, and in the costume too. You're burning. I mean, you're easily burning 2,500 calories in, over the course of a game. Got to be. Impressive, impressive stuff. All right, my next written question. I like that. I like that mascot question. Melanie Bati writes, I'm a huge fan of the show, and I look forward to every episode. Thanks so much for all the joy you've brought to me over the years and for the weird moments trying to explain to my boyfriend, not a sports guy, why I'm laughing out loud at my phone or computer. Watching the World Cup this year got me to thinking, what do you think about a college basketball tournament format with a group stage like what they have in the World Cup? Obviously... The 64-team single elimination bracket is the perfect format, but what would the pros and cons be of having some randomized round-robin play before the bracket starts? I got a thought on this, but you go ahead first, GP. 
I do like the idea of you get into the quote NCAA tournament and a stinker of an effort doesn't ruin your entire season. So maybe you could get that out of your system in in group play and still advance into what we would call, I guess, the knockout round. So I I, I like that, but I think you don't mess with what we got because what we got, everybody agrees, is pretty great. But um, I'm not one of those who is uh, – this is the only way to do it. There's a million ways to crown champions and to have postseason tournaments. And, you know, I enjoy the group stage of, of the World Cup. And, you know, because if you're Brazil or – Argentina or France, you can have you can like have that one bad match, and it's like, oh wow, what happened there? Well, we still got a path to to the trophy. Uh, we just can't do that again. I think that is it, it is what makes the NCAA tournament great. Is also the thing that makes it, I think, sometimes frustrating, which is you can work for five straight months, have this incredible season, and then in a matter of forty basketball minutes is just over because you went two of 25 from three-point range. Yep, that's the the glory, the drama, and all of it, man. That's why I love the tournament. Now, it, the World Cup, so you get four teams per pool, I guess, in this three games, three points per win, two teams, teams get out. So that means you have 16 pools. We get to the round of 32, and then in theory, we get to the, we get to the round of 32, the second round, if you will, with the strongest field possible. So there is appeal to that, and... A part of me is like I don't want to turn. I don't want to expand the tournament even by one team. Uh, I'd go back to sixty-four as you would if we actually had a magical wand and could do that. But if you gave me a sixty-four team tournament with actually more tournament games inside of it, I'm all about it. Let's just put aside the the conflicts with scheduling and television. Let's just say we can, it can get done. Um, so you get more tournament games with the same number of teams. I'm all about it. The only drawback to this. Now, you would potentially get some amazing stories, but like the idea that St. Peter's is getting out of, of pool play or group stage, extremely unlikely. So you're okay. sacrificing that at the benefit of a stronger field. That being said, it's not unthinkable that every year in one or two group stages, you would have the occasional team that would equate to a 10, 11, 12, 13 seed probably break through. So you'd have that and there'd still be the possibility. Obviously this would never happen, but this is, this is exactly why I love the mailbag. This is a really fun thought exercise. And uh, I would certainly be open to, uh, to trying that Uh, same size field, more tournament games with a lot of drama. Can you even imagine? All right. Next question comes from from Evan in Manchester. He writes, uh, Lander and GP love the pod. You guys camaraderie always results in an enjoyable listen. Thank you. I'm a UConn fan, and the Huskies look awesome. Yet, as our fan base knows better than anyone, a dominant backcourt is an integral, uh, is as integral as anything to championship success. While UConn has a good backcourt, it definitely lacks pedigree. Um, is this an unovercomable yeah. obstacle for UConn come March, despite their all-around aptitude? Um, I, I, I'll be quick on this. I because I want to set up a trivia time. I, I do not think it's uh, unovercomable. I think the guards are good enough. You know, it's not Shabazz Napier. It's not Kimball Walker. But I think Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton are, are good enough, particularly with, you know, everything else connected to this basketball team. They've got depth. They're great offensively. They're great defensively. They're, they're great. Uh, they're, they're, they're coached well. 
Um, you, UConn, absolutely. There's nothing crazy about thinking UConn is going to be your 2023 national champion. Here's, the, but this this question did get me thinking. Trivia. Right. Time. Let's go. Trivia time. When is the last team? When is the last time? Mm-hmm. A team won a national championship, and its best player was a big, like UConn's best player this season is a big. Um, my first instinct to say is to say Hansborough, '09 Carolina, but am I going back too far? You have gone back too far. Anthony Davis, 2012. You've gone back too far. I have gone back too far. Uh, okay, so let's do it. Louisville, 13 was no. 14 UConn was no. Uh, 15 Duke was it? Okafor was the first team All American. Am I still am I still going back too far? That's it. Okay, it's Okafor 15. Okay, it's Oka Duke. Uh, so like 2022 Kansas best player Ochai Abaji. 2021 Baylor Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, all guards. 2020 dumbest pandemic of my lifetime, no tournament. Two th- now that could have been one with uh, um, at Kansas. Or Obi, I mean, even Obi, although Obi wasn't a traditional. But oh, yeah. Kansas and Gonzaga was good that year. And then um, uh, Kansas had um, uh, Azabuki. But they also yeah, had so I, was, I was blanking on the name. Azabuki. Azabuki. Right. Dotson was also really good. So that's kind of 1A, 1B. Yeah, okay, but we didn't have a tournament, so forget about that. Virginia, 2019, Cal Guy, DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, not bigs. 2018, Villanova, Jalen Brunson, not a big. 2017, UNC, Justin Jackson, Joel Berry. 2016, Villanova, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, Ryan Archidiacono. And then you get back to 2015, Duke with Jalil Okafor. So this is true. Teams whose best players are bigs do not normally win the national championship. That's not usually the way this tournament goes. I'll say this. So Andre Jackson leads, and w- which is interesting because the number one and number two team right now, their best player, Purdue and UConn, best players are both traditional bigs. Absolutely. But see, UConn's got Andre Jackson, who's a player unlike almost anyone else in the sport. He leads the team in assists, 5.1 per game. Newton's at 4.5. And I-, I hear you on Hawkins. I actually think he's got really good potential. UConn has all of the pieces to win the national championship. Yes. I don't think like, Jackson, size-wise, isn't a guard. I get that. But he is running the off. Now, he's doing it in unconventional ways. And actually, credit to Dan Hurley. We'll probably wind up talking about this more in January and into February um, because I talked with Hurley about this in the preseason as well. Jackson is... He is a point forward, and he is a just dynamic as hell playmaker. One of the best... I'm talking top three athlete in the sport. And so he makes up for a lot with, with what these concerns are. So... I hear you on that, but I don't think UConn's guard issues. I, if you're a bit wired to think like we had Kemba and then we had Baz, and you know, I get all that, but this is I, I'm not that I'm not that concerned about it. All right, Nada, let's go to our uh, let's go to our second video question. What do we got here? Absolutely, we are going to go to the second question, and we're going to take this a little further down south. We got an Arkansas question. We, we they, they need to be heard at this point. Okay. What's up, Matt? GP, Merry Christmas. Hey, I'm Ojinga Carr from Memphis. Hey, what is my Razorbacks, my Arkansas Razorbacks ceiling with all of their health issues with Brazil and maybe with Nick Smith Jr. out? Love the show. Talk to you later. Perfect. By the way, perfect length on that question. Well, first two questions, you guys are in and out 15 seconds. We love it there. Nick Smith Jr. is out again. Uh, diehards obviously are very aware of this, and Arkansas fans listening are aware of this. Right knee management continues to be the language they use with this. He's out indefinitely. Now, 
I was told a couple weeks back that he, after, you know, Arkansas got off to a good start and you had Anthony Black playing well and Nick Smith wanted to, he could have continued to sit, but he wanted to get back there and get involved. And now, lo and behold, he's going back on the shelf there. We were talking about a player who go top three in June's NBA draft. And to this point, he's played legitimate minutes in four games overall. Brazil's out for the season. Arkansas is 11 and one. I do have them top 10 in my power rankings. The only loss by three in that really good game against Creighton back in Maui. Uh, they're coming off, you know, uh, wins over at Bradley and UNC Asheville. Their next one is Wednesday at LSU. Then they're home to Missouri at Auburn. You know, appreciate the question. Uh, it's a fellow Memphis fellow for you here, GP. I actually think it's viable to have some concern about Arkansas ceiling and winning the SEC now that Brazil's out and we just don't know. We're kind of being robbed a little bit here of potentially a top three freshman in the country. And you can't tell me they lose Brazil, who was one maybe the breakout player in the country. And now they, like, we don't know. Like, Smith, maybe he's back in 10 days. Parrish, maybe we're opening up a Wednesday morning pod at the end of January and we're like, Nick Smith is still not back. What's going on? I'm not I'm not predicting it, but that seems to be on the table there. And so because of that and how good the top of the SEC is, I think it is fair, even though Arkansas is 11 and one top 10 in multiple predictive metrics to, to really have some skepticism if this team will be the best team in the SEC. Yeah, you look at and I was high on Arkansas in the preseason. Still am. I've got them in the top 10 of the top 25 and one. But um you know, Trayvon Brazil and Nick Smith are two of the top four scorers on this team. One's done for the season, and the other one hadn't been right all season and is now out indefinitely. Like that, take two of the top four off any team in the country, and you, your ceiling has been lowered. So, you know, at full strength, you know, before the season got started, I would have told you there is no ceiling. Arkansas can win the national title. And I suppose I'm willing to leave open the possibility for that, particularly if Nick Smith gets healthy and comes back and looks like a top five pick. But uh, they've been really unfortunate so far this season from an injury perspective. Uh, Ricky Council has been really, really good. But um, like I said, any team in the country that that is, you know, playing without two of its top four players that, uh, you know, that but that becomes a thing that is is difficult to overcome. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Mike in Boston writes, I know the New England region is loaded with talented prep schools, and the mid-majors like Harvard and URI uh, have mined that recruiting source well at times, as has Providence. But given that, why has Boston College been perpetually 
abysmal. Now, BC is coming off a win. We actually had Tyler Brookman right in. The Hokies deserve some love on the pod. Maybe the best team in the ACC. Shouts to Claytor Lake, Virginia. Hey, Tyler. We got, we randomly, by the way, we're randomly getting these kind of emails. Like, give this team love. Uh, well, your team just lost at BC. So that's the mention you're getting here. BC is seven and six. And quick trivia time here off the top. Last time BC made the NCAA tournament, what year was it, GP? Oh, baby. You can't get 2009. There we go. Uh, bingo. Right on. Bingo, bango. Al Skinner, seven seed. BC has not made a Sweet 16 since 2006. Uh, that was the first season after it left the Big East to go into the ACC. And we don't have to be long on this, but, you know, we, we rarely will talk about BC. And this is what a mailbag episode is good for to occasionally hit on these topics where, you know, I'm sure we've got no shortage of listeners in the greater Boston area who might have gone to BC or BC fans. Frankly, um, in the here and now, NIL, way behind. Uh, and also one of the tougher places to get guys into school historically so if you're going for a player uh and he's got interest from other schools that might have a better basketball pedigree and it's easier to get into those places also a factor there they haven't prioritized it enough and they can't get out of their own way and bc to me it goes back to it is if not the poster school one of the three or four where they they left one conference for another and have been Way worse off since. It's not even close. Boston College should not be in the ACC. It should be in the Big East. That tie is seemingly forever severed, never to be um, fixed. I actually think Earl, I have written, I think Earl Grant will have some success here. And by success means, I actually think he will get them to the tournament. If they give him time, give him four or five years, I think he will get BC into the tournament. Goodness knows that this is one of the longest routes out there. But it's an outpost in the conference. And because of that, it's a bit of a, a bit of a black sheep. And I just don't know, like big, big picture, long term. I just don't think there's hope for a school like BC at the power conference level. And I don't say that with any kind of joy. And I'd love to be wrong. But Boston College from, you know, the 70s up until the early 2000s, like it was somewhat reliable to have a relevant team every so often. It just has not been that they got rid of Al Skinner, Steve Donahue. You know, he tried four years, didn't work. Jim Christian was there, tried, didn't work. Now it's Earl Grant. And so. You know, it's it's a damn shame, particularly I speak as someone who lives in the Northeast. I, I would love to have reasons to go see Boston College play. I've go, I've been to that venue twice in like 13 years. So um, can they overcome it uh, to a certain level? Yes, but I just don't ever I, I they'd have to they'd have to strike gold in getting a coach uh, who would eventually ultimately leave there. You have to get the right kind of guy to think that they could be a t uh, program that like makes the tournament three straight years. I think it starts with conference affiliation, like you said. Um, Al Skinner took BC to four NCAA tournaments in the school's final five seasons in the Big East. Then they moved to the ACC for the 2005-2006 season, and they haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2009. Um, you know, it, it is more it is proven more difficult to to recruit northeastern kids to the ACC than it was to re recruit them to the Big East. I think any. Um, well, I don't want to speak for any Boston College coach, but th that is my understanding, at least. Beyond that, uh, nobody in Boston cares about Boston College basketball because, like, huge pro sports town. Huge pro sports town. That's the irony of Boston. It's got more colleges per capita or per square mile, maybe both, than any city in the country. But the disparity between we care about our pro sports and our college sports, I don't think it's greater in any area than maybe New York than what it is up in Beantown. Like I, I have been to, is it Conti Forum? 
Conti Forum, one of the very, one of the like nine to ten forums in all of uh, all of college hoops. We've got arenas, we've got centers, we've got field houses. There are not many forums out there, but Conti is one of them. FedEx Forum. FedEx is, is, a, is another forum. There we go. Conti Forum and FedEx Forum. I've been to both of them. I've been to Conti Forum once, and it was for a Duke game. And Duke was like, you know, I Duke is Duke, right? Obviously. Typically, Duke goes to Duke goes on the road. It's an event. I was at Duke Boston College. Nobody there. I've been there. Exa- I was there like three years ago. Duke at BC. Yeah, yeah. I know. Nobody cares. So, like, um, I, I, I don't think there's any limitation. Let me rephrase. Of course, there's limitations. I don't think there's any absolute thing that prevents somebody from being successful, even in this era of the sport, at a place like Boston College. Like, we've seen Rutgers go from nothing to relevant. Um, you know, we've seen other schools that are very difficult to, to you know, or challenging to win at. Um, if the right guy gets the job and gets it go, that you can win at these places. So I, I don't think it's impossible to win at Boston College, but I do think there's a lot of things working against the coach at Boston College. And w- when you're talking about name, image, and likeness, this goes back to nobody cares in Boston. Like, what does that collective look like? You know, if, if you are running a business in Boston and you've got money to throw around, you're probably more interested in uh, Patriot stuff and Celtic stuff and Red Sox stuff than you are in trying to help fund the Boston College men's basketball team. Whereas, you know, in Omaha, Creighton basketball is the biggest thing going. So there's just a lot of things working against it. Not impossible, but definitely difficult. You're next, GP. What do we got? Got a question from uh, John Steichen. Um he said, if, if you could have gone to school for any four-year period strictly to watch and be around the men's basketball team, where and when would that be? Okay. So with this question, we are taking into account it's you at your college age, but you're in that era. So if you're picking UCLA of the late 60s, there are no cell phones, no computers. There are pros and cons to that. Minimal technology, but you're going, you are, you are existing as a college student at that time. So just keep that in mind. Uh, on some level, that actually sounds great. This is a terrific question. Uh, where in the what's what program are you gonna school are you gonna go to? How good's the program? Where in the country is it located? Weather a factor, all that stuff. There are a number of I did consider UCLA. I just don't know. Like, I don't want to be going to college in the late sixties, early seventies. I, I I need some sort of technology here. Um, my answer is Florida because it's in the modern era, relatively speaking. Uh, you're you're on the tail end of AIM away messages and stuff like that. Cell phones do exist, 06, 07, and you are in a really good climate. Florida football is humongous at that point. You're in the Tebow era, and then you've got you are witnessing back-to-back national championships with players who are you know national stars. Joking Noah, Al Horford, uh, Lee Humphrey. Got to give Lee a shout out. So my pick is the Gators. But I love this question. Very thought-provoking. What is your pick? So I made a list, and literally number one is those Florida teams in that exact same time. Because it's not just that it was a you know great basketball teams; it was great personalities, like fun people. Um, you know, I I was I actually spent a lot of time in Gainesville during that that period because. You know, I would help Dennis Dodd out. Like once upon a time, I was the only college basketball writer, and Dennis Dodd was the only college football writer for CBS Sports. So he'd help me; I'd help him. And so I was down at Florida all the time for football games. Tim Tebow, 
Um, and then all and down in Florida all the time for basketball games because they were winning back-to-back titles. And like I can remember it just felt like a party for those guys. Like I, everybody knew what apartment they lived in. Like you, you would yeah. drive by it and people would be like, yeah, that's where uh, that's where Noah and Horford and Corey Brewer and Lee Humphrey and Torian Green. Like the idea that I can still remember all those guys, yeah. you know, you know, my memory. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's probably where I start. Uh, you know, then you add in warm weather, um, you know, big, you get to enjoy the football as opposed in, in addition to the basketball. It's just that to me, that's a that's a, a totally reasonable answer, perhaps the right one um, being at UNLV. In the heyday of the Tark years, no that question. seems like that would have been fun. Yep. I thought about UNLV, and I thought about how we just mentioned on the previous pod. If, if you're going to Duke and you made all those Final Fours, like you're just at 86 to 92, and any, any span in that GP, just you're, you're at a prestigious school. Relative, you know, you, no, no cell phones, minimal computers, all that kind of stuff. But you're you're just rooting for a team that's that's relevant to April every single season. Yeah, and then the other one I had listed here, like the Bill Walton years at UCLA. I imagine those would have been fun. You never lose, and Bill Walton is an obvious character. Yeah. So so that that would have probably been fun. But um, yeah, that was a fun question. All right, that's you're. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm next. Dale and Kara. I, a joint joint question. Shouts to Dale and Kara. Uh, we've been taking careful notes and we have tabulated a 999 to 1 ratio of charge calls to blocking calls. Is this a result of a rule change or a, quote, point of emphasis, end quote? Are there any officiating tweaks that fans should be mindful of this year? I, You know what? I appreciate a question like this because um, we don't really get into this kind of minutiae too much on the pod, but there are like genuine college basketball fans that, that want this to know this stuff. Um, this is really just a gateway for me to bring up Festivus, which I'll do in a second there. But yes, uh, if you are unaware, there is the class B technical for the flop this season. So that has been something of an issue so far. I don't feel like it's been as prevalent in the past couple of weeks. Fran Fraschilla has murdered this rule on national television half dozen times already. He cannot stand it. If you flop, it's a class B technical. By that, you are not charged a personal foul. The other team simply gets one free throw. I don't hate the rule, but it is hard to interpret. So for critics of the rule, I completely understand. With that being said, a quick list of my college hoops festivist grievances. GP, if you got one, tag it on at the end here. There are too many timeouts in games. There are too many neutral court games in non-conference play. I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. Too many damn reviews. Too many. Between timeouts and reviews, we have to get some sort of solution here. We've got the same damn in arena arena music we've had for 25 years. Can we freshen this up, please? 
please. I'm begging you. Like the most recent thing is the Joker and the Thief, and that came out in 2006. Why can't we get why can't we get WAP into these college arenas? You build that playlist. Build I that will. Play- we're going to start it with more, like yeah, yeah. We're going I mean, WAP, and then we're going FNF. You Literally, it's like shake it off is the most recent thing I'm hearing, and that that's like consistently played across across put, arenas. Put Glorilla in your college basketball arena. Come on now, let's go. The existence of the first four. How about the selection committee for the entirety of its existence only having athletic directors or conference commissioners on its roster? Lame as hell. Let's mix it up. Go to jump balls and ditch the possession arrow. Give us some amazing visuals. I want to see Zach Eady going up for a jump ball against a 5'11 point guard. Make this happen, please. Exhibition games should not count against suspensions. Lame workaround. And then the last one I've got, the NBA has actually put an emphasis on this, and college should as well, carrying the ball. Guys carry the ball casually way too much. You should have to dribble the basketball correctly there. Also, stop saying, quote, score the basketball. That's what you score. Basketball is redundant. Don't say score the basketball. You only score in two ways in this sport, with the basketball and the Brandon Davies method. I'm done. Macaroni in a pot. You got any grievances or you want to chime in on what Ian from St. Louis wrote? Yeah, I don't have any grievances. Okay. I'm fine. I feel like I should express my frustration in, in other directions. I will say um, I watch a lot of NBA, just like I watch a lot of college basketball. And uh, the amount of times you spend in an NBA game talking about foul trouble or questionable charges is nothing compared to how often we do it in college basketball. Like I, you, you, you just never going to turn on a game or very rarely you're going to turn on a game and somebody's going to go and Luka Doncic is now going to the bench in foul trouble. Like it's just not something that that sport really deals with. And we deal with it, it every day. I, that's something I would like to address. And yeah, what, whatever, Hey, let, However, the NBA has gotten to a point where they're not fighting over block charges every three minutes. Like, let's 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 move in that direction. We could learn something from that game, perhaps. I agree, and it's your turn. You know anything that rhymes with R.J. Melendez? It's tough. Ian from St. Louis. He says, as a diehard Duke fan. Really struggling to decide what to think of Derek Lively. Join the club. Coming in as a top-ranked prospect, you're almost expecting a player with an offensive caliber similar to Paolo or R.J. Barrett or Jabari of recent years. Obviously, Lively's uh, style is much different than that, but what is Lively's ceiling this season? Are we looking at a player with the ceiling of the 2022 Mark Williams, or can he become a reliable offensive threat that will demand the ball down on the block, just trying to set an expectation of what's to come? I think he's just a role player. I think the preseason leg injury didn't help. And um, it doesn't mean he couldn't come back for a sophomore year and be amazing. I mean, look at some of these bigs, how how great they've gotten throughout their college careers by, by you know, just staying in college and, and improving. But this season, I mean, we're, you know, we're pretty deep into this thing now. And he's averaging four points and four rebounds in 18 minutes per game. I think he's just a role player. He's only played seven games, so well-timed email here only because, uh, so thank you to Ian from St. Louis. I think this will become something more commonly discussed if it doesn't change in about two weeks. Again, 
he came out of his high school class, the best player in the eyes of some, and certainly almost universally top three, 4.4 points, 3.7 rebounds, 2.0 blocks in seven games. He's not even Mark Williams impact at this point. No shot. Like it's not even, it's not even that level right now. They are going to need him and Whitehead to be a lot better if they are going to win the ACC, be a, be a threat in March. So yes, good question. Um, and we wait and see, but he is not the guy that we saw on the, uh, on the recruiting trail. Nada. Let's go. Uh, let's go video question. Number three. What do we have? We're going to just straight take this one to Akron because uh, a man, a man's got a question about Akron basketball right now. GP Norlander drew from Akron, Ohio. Go Zips. Would love to hear your top two mid-major teams. We can take out the Akron Zips for right now because I know that they'd be on both of your list, even though they're getting beaten to the ground by Bradley right now. So, yeah, your top two mid-major teams. Okay. Um, top two mid-major teams right now. I would say, well, I have Charleston. Shouts to Charleston. Charleston was 19th in my Hey 19, the last team in my power rankings there. Pat Kelsey's done a really nice job. They are not, you know, they're not top 50 in, in Ken Palm right now. I think they're somewhere in the 90s, but they're 12 and 1 with an 11 1 record against uh, Division 1 competition. The only loss came at North Carolina, and they played well in that game. They've beaten the likes of Davidson, Colorado State, Virginia Tech, Kent State. So they've done pretty well for themselves overall. I'm going to take this question to mean schools outside of. I'm going to say outside of the WCC Mountain West A10, even though there are many mid-majors there, I want to try and get to what I think more of what the spirit of your of your question was there. Another one that's been good so far this season is Florida Atlantic. It's 40th in Ken Palm as we speak right now. Only losses at Ole Miss has a win over Florida on the resume, and that is a road win as well. So Dusty May, former Florida assistant, uh, from a predicted metric standpoint, uh, you know, CUSA team, 40th right now, heading into Christmas. That's quite aberrational overall. And that was not the team from that conference that was expected to be the noisiest team. It was UAB, maybe North Texas. Those teams are right behind it. UAB right now, 10-2. and two. North and Texas is 10-2 and two as well. So those are the two that stand out for me. Any mid-major that's caught your eye other than those through the first seven weeks of the season, GP? Well, yeah, like if we're taking New Mexico off the board, San Diego yeah. State off the board, and we're really focusing more on, you know, schools outside of conferences like the American, all the Power Fives, the Big East, the Mountain West, the WCC. Then I, I do think Florida Atlantic's a great one. UAB is a good one. North Texas is a good one. You know, CUSA's got three top 55 Ken Palm teams. The American only has two. And, you know, I'm, I'm drawing a line there. Like if I said top 60, it'd be three and three, I think. But like... What I said is true. CUSA has more top 55 Kimpom teams right now than the American Athletic Conference does. So, yeah, I would I would go in that direction. You know, Jelly Walker's been terrific again, and UAB looks like a team uh, from a mid-major conference that can get into the NCAA tournament and, and, and really scare somebody. Colin McDonald writes, I came across the feed in 2017, and I've listened to every single pod since. I was listening to Norlander's take on Villanova being a blue blood, and I agree with him. However, it begs the question that if a program can play their way into blue blood status over time, as Villanova, I argued previously, uh, they also have to be able to play their way out. As much as I'm sure there will be blowback on this, it is time that the fabled Indiana Hoosiers get dropped from the conversation. Let's look at the numbers. Indiana has not won a national championship since 87, have not had a number one team in more than 10 years, and are not even the best program in their own state. Purdue has more Big Ten titles, 
More All-Americans leads the head-to-head series by a substantial margin. I am not arguing that Purdue is a blue blood program, but this illustrates that as great as Indiana once was, those days have come and gone. Off the top of my head, Michigan, Michigan State, Arizona, Purdue, Baylor, Gonzaga are all better programs currently than Indiana. Agree or disagree on this premise, by the way, GP. Additionally, someone named Mark Chobot sent in a novella, which I'm not reading. He basically wanted to know why UConn isn't a blue blood or considered one. He tagged his question with, P.S., there are more of you than there are of me, but I don't have child support. Thank you, Mark, for that. Um <laughs> I this is this now this is interesting because I did make the case that Villanova is a blue blood and I stand by that. Should teams be able to eventually be kicked out of the club there? I while I think the answer Parish should be yes. It almost feels like the 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 tradition, the nostalgia, the history that almost fuels the interest in college sports prevents a school from ever fully being pulled away. That chair is not getting pulled away from that table. If Indiana doesn't make the NCAA tournament for the next eight years, and then, you know, 15 years from now, it's finally back in a final four, right? It's going to be the Indiana. I just don't know if they're ever going to be taken out of that consideration of like one of these historical powers, but it is an intriguing question. And when you consider like right now, yeah, I mean, Arizona is a better program. Uh, Gonzaga for sure. I don't Baylor. I can't say for, I can't say Michigan has a close case, Michigan state as well. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think debating whether somebody's a blue blood or not is a lot like debating Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Like you can make, you, you know, you can, is Indiana a blue blood or not? Let's debate it. And you can make good points on both sides and you're not changing anybody's mind. It's just like Jordan LeBron. If you want to argue in favor of Jordan, that you, you there's a lot of data and you can do it effectively. If you want to argue in favor of LeBron, there's a lot of data and you can do it effectively. And you can do it all day. And you're not changing anybody's mind. Team Jordan's Team Jordan. Team LeBron's Team LeBron. Nothing you say is going to change anybody's mind. And I think for the most part, blue blood conversations are similar. I hear you on Indiana. I will say like Tom Cream won two outright Big Ten titles there. I know, that wasn't, I know that wasn't good enough, but like that. Happened. By the way, on that note, I will shout out. We had a listener, Nina Swanson, sent in a video. It's already outdated, so we couldn't play it. But I wanted to acknowledge her because it, it was a good video. She was the one. You mentioned Crean. Do you remember the shirt? She of made course. the you can't spell ladder without Crean shirt. So she <laughs> actually reminded us of that, which is, I can't. That was like five, six years ago already. Um, and she also wanted our thoughts on Mike Woodson's goatee. It's, it's the best goatee in college hoops you know so thank you for the video but uh but the, the question and the other part of it was outdated but yeah i hear you on i hear you on uh on on that general principle indiana's intriguing one though because of how much it struggled as of late i i could not if you made me pick one way or the other though i can't say that it's a, it's it's not a blue blood it's still yeah. the, the sport means way too much in that state and i just I, not yet if, if they're still if they're bad five six years from now and they're like not in the tournament then i actually might entertain it but i, I still can't bring myself to that point I'm yeah. Like if you force me, is Indiana a blue blood? Yes or no? I'm say yes. I mean, it just matters so deeply in that state, and um, and though the the program hasn't been what it once was, that's still a program that matters. And and it's not like they've been awful, like run it straight into the ground bad. They just haven't been what they once were. As for Mike's goatee, um, I'd say if you got to have a goatee. It's, you, it's the you, best. There's no you, one. Well, no one's stopping that. That's if somebody's if, if somebody's forcing you to have a goatee, you want Mike Woodson's. That's right. 
That's fair. All right. Benjamin Pullen from Utah writes, uh, he's one of us, but heavily outnumbered by them in the land of them. From Utah, okay. If you could round out your golf foursome for an afternoon on the course drinking adult beverages and listening to stories with three college coaches, past or present, who would you pick and why? He said he's going Steve Forbes, Jim Valvano, and two-year-old Tony Hinkle. I like that. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Who would you go Uh, with? All right, I got my answer here. Um, I did think I. uh, these are the questions I love. Okay, so uh, three others. I'm going... All mine, all mine are alive. Roy Williams, who's bored. The only thing he was more obsessed with in golf is North Carolina sports. The man is everywhere and, and more power to him. I might have mentioned the pot. I got to catch up with him uh, at the CBS Sports Classic. And uh, he said, Matt, I'm in, I'm in love with this university. I always will be. And then I said, I understand. He's like, plus it's too cold to golf right now. So I, I want to play with Roy Williams because he's I love legitimately Roy. good. Like, I, mean, I did a story on him when he was, uh, might've been a knee or a hip. He had like, he was really at the very end of his career. He was physically okay for the most part, but there was a period leading up to the end of his career when he was physically struggling. And I remember I think we were at the Veterans Classic in Annapolis, and I was talking to Roy. And I said, uh, "So how you know? Because this was an early season. I was like, how, so how was the uh, off season?" And he said, "You know, I played some of the worst golf and some of the most beautiful golf courses in this country." And I was like, "Well, that sounds good and bad." But he was like, he loves golf, loves it, loves it, loves it. Like um, I, I, I remember when. You know, so, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, some of these guys were getting ready. It, you, you knew it was winding down to some degree. And there would be people who tell you, like, I don't know what Mike's going to do. What's yeah, Roy going to say? He doesn't play golf. Yeah. Like, what's Roy going to do? Roy's going to play golf every day. What's Mike going to do? Not real sure. Um, yeah. Roy has a real passion for golf. And absolutely, I could uh, I could see him in my foursome as well. I got I to gotta have Roy in the foursome. He can still legitimately play. Um, I, and then I'm having the no longer active – the name will come as no surprise, but I'm almost positive he is like the best golfer of any college coach in recent memory. Rick Bird. Rick Bird's got to be out there. Rick Bird regularly breaks par. Rick Bird. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the pot or not. I feel like I might have once. Rick Bird in the in the final years of his coaching career. He went to courses around the country and like reviewed them for golf digest. It was a story that I wanted to write, but he didn't let me do it because I, I he's like, I can't have a bad season. And then think my fans think that I was too busy working up, you know, working up this 900 word review on band and dunes, but he's, <laughs> he's genuinely awesome. He actually texted me recently. He wants, he, he wants to make it happen. So do I. So I actually think I might achieve that. I actually might think I might get out on the course with, uh, with the great, great rick bird at one point and then uh i'm pretty sure mike bray plays golf he's an awesome hang uh i we uh, we've gotten plenty of huggins mentions in the live chat obviously there i i don't even know if huggins plays he may well he, i don't know if he does or not uh i can't that doesn't that image doesn't strike the mind i can't recall if uh, if people have given that anecdote before but i wouldn't be surprised but uh bray is the quintessential guy you'd want out there share a cart with over 18 holes so i go roy rick bird mike bray what about you i go james naismith <laughs> he's just not gonna know what he's doing out there james naismith mick cronin and john wooden 
And I, what I would want is for like, as we're standing on the tee box, I would want the man who invented basketball and the man who's the greatest coach in UCLA history to teach John Wooden about the sport. Just like, you know, mm. you, you know, you know, you're on the golf course and it's backed up a little bit and you got, you know, you got seven minutes on a fairway while you're waiting on the green to clear. That's when I would want James Naismith and Mick Cronin to talk to John Wooden about basketball. Oh, man. How about that? Uh, that's a good one. And uh, expertly answered. Uh, Nada, give us the last video one if you've got it queued up there. Hello, guys. I'm Jacob from Greenfield, Indiana. And I don't know what GP's talking about, but my internet's been fine here this year. And I was wondering if you guys could rank the power conferences based on how they've performed as a whole this year and how you expect them to finish. Merry Christmas. Dig it. Purdue hat. Shouts to the Khalil Mack fathead in the background let's go bears um all right power conference rankings so far this season uh simple enough here it's got to be big 12 one big 10 two uh i want to say i, I gotta say sec three because th- i mean uconn's been good xavier's been good but creighton's been a letdown marquette's been better than expected nova's been not as good as normal st john's is still pretty good although it did get I mean, St. John's got booted the other night uh, by playing at Nova, so maybe Nova's on the comeback. I would say Big 12-1, Big 10-2, SEC 3, Big East. I would go Big East 4. ACC's been troubled. ACC and Pac-12 have both been troubled. I'd probably say ACC 5, Pac-12 6 among your major conferences. Yeah, I um, I would also say Big 12. I, I tend to try to look at this by like, all right, what did I think your league was going to be and who's about what I thought, who's better than I thought, and who's not performing to expectations. And if you look at the SEC, it's a little all over the place. Like Tennessee is obviously really good. Arkansas is good but injured. Kentucky's been relative to expectations, a disappointment. Alabama, fine. Auburn, about what it was supposed to be, I guess. Mississippi State overachieving, Missouri overachieving, but then Florida underachieving, Texas A&M underachieving, Ole Miss underachieving. Like those are three preseason possible, perhaps probable um, NCAA tournament teams, you know, at least, you know, based on projections. And right now, I don't think any of them would, would make the field. Um, we are going to cut this, uh, we're going to wrap this in a couple minutes here. So I'm going to apologize to Caitlin Allen. She had a good question, but we're not going to get to that one. I got one more Christmas one and GP's got one that I want him to read. But before we do our final two questions here, I do want to address a quick couple of ones in the live chat. One, what coach, which college basketball coach or player are you most disappointed as one of them speculating (laughs) by the way, on this note, it's disturbing how many of you are so caught up with this topic of premarital sex like I, I feel like it dominates our reviews our questions people talking to us in person like it's more than anything college basketball related it's well, I, I literally ask people to make the comments reflect that there's more of us than That's there true. are them i mean That's i literally those are, those are my instructions it's true. I, I don't say hey go over to the comments and write gary Parrish and matt norlander nobody knows the sport like them forget that i'm gonna twist the question there's more of us than there are of them that's all i want it's true. And I, and I actually talked to, I was going over some of these questions last night, sitting with my wife in our living room and I reminded her that this is a thing. And, uh, she was, she was just chuckling. She's like, this is outrageous. <laughs> this is what you guys talk about on this podcast. I was like, what do you want from me? What do you want? What do you want from me? I will twist the question though. I'm not going to say I'm disappointed in anyone. I would say 
the the nicest coach that I think is probably most likely to be on team them is probably Scott Drew. So God, I, there is I, no way I was going to bring the, I was going to answer that question. Now I'm shouts to Scott Drew, shouts to Huck, shouts to the entire Drew family. So there, there we go. I, whatever. It's a, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, what does Missouri need to do in SEC play to make the tournament? Brendan asks. Well, that's a wonderful question because Missouri could be a classic example of a team that had a, uh, not that strong of a non-conference slate that that needs to overachieve an SEC play. That win over Illinois is going to be huge. They've got one more non-con game. Remember, SEC Big 12 Challenge. That is in January. That's a home matchup against Iowa State. Blindly speaking, obviously no one team's results ever happen in a vacuum. You got Missouri at, at one loss right now. Ken Palm projects this team to go into the SEC tournament with 10 losses. To me, if we're talking about a 10-loss Missouri team going into the SEC bracket, I'm going to say you're going to need to win at least one of those games because I, I'm not confident you'd have enough overall there. Aim to finish above 500 in league play, and then you're going to have a good shot. Let's even call that Iowa State game a loss but that's my read on it. GP right now for fun. Festivus, December 23rd. Yes or no? Because we both said no in the preseason. Yes or no? Missouri Tigers in the 2023 NCAA tournament. I'll go with yes. I'm going to go with yes as well. I, and and it, literally the Illinois game is making me flip on that. If they had lost, I would say no. I think you'd say no as well. I think that was a, a really good sign. They'll take plenty of losses here. I say they eke in and I'll even project. I'll say 11 seed for... Uh, yeah, they, they, can, they can go 500 in the SEC probably and still make the NCAA tournament. I think that's entirely possible there. Uh, one more question. A-10. What is going on here? GP, right now it's it's 11th in Kempom string. Someone's asking what's up with the A-10. No, like... In all sincerity, it, it, it's a disaster. D it, it, utter disaster. Dayton's got five losses. St. Louis already has five losses. Richmond's at six and six. VCU's nine and four. George Mason was supposed to be better than a seven five. UMass has been okay so far. Davidson's seven and five. Loyola Chicago is six and six. There is no path whatsoever for the A10 to have any kind of hope to be a two bid league at this stage. And so. I don't take any glee in this, but it is it has been a bizarrely bad season for the A-10. And this remember, Dayton was a preseason ranked team. St. Louis, I had top 30. And there was actually viable hope that this league might be able to get the three bids this season. It will only have one, and the one and the team that gets in is either going to be a 13 or 14. It's almost as if they didn't have a proper master of ceremonies for A-10 Media Day. <laughs> okay. That's kind of what it looks like to me. By the way, Nada just texted. Uh, he might have been having some uh, some technical difficulties here. Um, yeah, that's it's, it's it's rough, and the A10 should it shouldn't have seasons like this. Um, but so it goes, I guess. But I, we, I, you know, it's just it's it's damn well stunning that uh, that is this poor. All right, let's wrap up this uh, let's wrap up this episode. <laughs> we've had, by the way, we've had shows in the past like week and a half. I had the Wi-Fi issue. You had the Wi-Fi issue. Now we lost Nada. He's done. <laughs> He's done. Uh, you're next, and then I'll ask the uh, I'll ask the Christmas one to wrap. I don't even know where we're at. Michael Cartman. Okay, I probably won't be the first person. This is from Michael Cartman. Probably won't be the first person to alert you to this disturbing news item. Just make sure that you cancel any travel plans to Indonesia. Apparently, they are just as opposed to postmarital sex as they are to premarital sex. In case you don't remember me, I am your leading advocate for postmarital sex. So he linked the news story, and I can't tell you how many people sent me this over the past. Oh my couple gosh, weeks. that's why I brought it up. I'm not. I'm not. I, I was going to put the over under at about 
15 people either in the in the email inbox or on Twitter. But if you combine you and me, it's got to be north of 25, 30 people. Yeah. So I, I, I'm very familiar with the story. The gist of it is Indian, Indonesia's parliament has approved a new criminal code that bans anyone in the country from having sex outside of marriage. Sex, it, it will carry a jail term up to a year under the new law, and the law applies equally to locals and to foreigners. Um, We're not going there. It's not happening. You can't go there. I mean, you just can't. You can't go there. Like, imagine. Let's just let's just play this out. All right. You do this, and then I'm going to see if I can actually find out how many downloads this podcast has in that country this year, because I think I can look that up. Go ahead. It's uh, it's just terrifying to think about. So imagine there's a white lotus in Indonesia, the White Lotus Hotel in Indonesia. I just finished season one last night, by the way. Season two, better. That's what that, my wife was uh, saying, like, this show's fine, but it's like way overhyped. And I said, everyone says season two is way better. So we're going to give season two a go. Season one was good, but based on the hype, I would say it was it was solid. But I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, this is an incredible show. Keep it. I will say the, the common denominator for me, for me, I'm speaking for me between the two seasons is that they're, they're enjoyable to watch. I didn't like the ending of either one. OK, uh, the ending of season one, I just felt like. I was like, ah, oh, okay. that's, that's I mean, the way fine. I felt it. That, uh, uh, that's exactly the way it. I felt at the end of season one and exactly the way I felt at the end of season two. I'm not trying to ruin it for you. I still enjoyed watching the show. I just feel like uh, maybe I believe that the writer's name is Mike, Michael, Mike White. Mike White. He actually yeah. he writes White Lotus and he's hoping to be back next week to play for the Jets. And and he coaches Georgia. <laughs> so maybe that's why he can't get a proper ending to these series, to these seasons of the White Lotus. He's got a lot going on. He's wow. playing quarterback for the Jets, coaching Georgia, and trying to write the White Lotus. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to do. That's a lot to do. So just play this out. There's a White Lotus in Indonesia, right? And I say, oh man, I, the White Lotus. That's my favorite type of hotel. I'm going to go to Indonesia. I'm a single man, by the way, in this hypothetical. And so I'm, you know, hanging out, White Lotus, Indonesia, bumping to Aubrey Plaza. We get to hanging out, talking. And next thing you know, we decide it's time. It's time to do it. Then we get caught. Now we're both in prison. Me and Aubrey Plaza in an Indonesian prison. And now President Biden has got to trade like another Russian arms dealer to get me and Aubrey Plaza back to the United States. Who needs that? Tell you what, we've got at least... We've got at least three listeners in Indonesia. 380 downloads. Well, I hope I hope they're not. That's the thing. Ooh. We are concerned for your safety right now. We can only we're going to presume that you're one of us. All right. The entire calendar year right now, 380 downloads out of Indonesia for the Ion College Basketball podcast there. Just please make sure you're on a secure Wi-Fi network. Do not be walking in to some cafe. They got Starbucks out there using the public Wi-Fi to download this podcast. We are not looking. What if to you? Them. What if you? What if you trace okay. all of our downloads back to an Indonesian prison? <laughs> Just people in there listening to the podcast after being caught having sex outside of marriage. In the Indonesian prison population, yeah, um, we did. So, you know, thank you. Uh, our listenership is, is quite interesting, but yes, uh, if there's any kind of premarital sex in the news globally um feel free to continue send notes but yes many of you uh many of you are are doing that we'll get out of here on this note zach grant writes 
and I actually went through this, some of this last night. You can actually see some of it behind me with the presents on the on the. Some of the stuff is um, the stuff for the kiddos, and they're not coming up in the office there. Zach Grant writes: Will GP be stepping up to the plate this year mm. to wrap his children's Christmas gifts, or will he pay for a stranger to wrap <laughs> the gifts? Like last year and perhaps years past. When I read this, I was like, "Was did we talk about this last year? Because I feel like this is, like, we talked about you doing this two, three years ago. Um, so what, what, one, what's the plan? Two, has it been accomplished? Three, have you done it? I, I'm a halfway done. And like almost every year I tell myself, like, I'm going to just spend nine minutes watching a YouTube video so that I can wrap a box competently, right? Uh, I still haven't done it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to do it. I, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a role player rapper when it comes to wrapping paper. Like I'm not terrible. I'm not a starter. I'm 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 giving you 13, 14 good minutes off the bench, but I got problems with my corners. My folds aren't perfect. I, I you know, I try and avoid creases as much as possible. But the way I see it, the kids are still young. They're so excited to open up these gifts. It's really not that big of a deal. My wife, she's tremendous at it. I'm gonna guess your over under on wrapping gifts this year is 0.5. I will take the under and that you're gonna have someone else wrap. Wrap your wife's gifts because I know there's zero chance of wrapping your kids' gifts. Well, in the spirit of clarity, mm. I did not hire a stranger to put together my kids' presents and wrap them. Um, we paid a family member yeah, who is nice. a who is a handy person. Terrible. And and like uh, I mean, good, I, but like the idea that you're paying someone in your family to wrap gifts. I'm related good. to somebody who knows how to like put things together. And so I, I take advantage of that with cash. And 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 uh, th- so absolutely, if I had things that needed to be assembled, then that person would be paid to assemble them. I can't do it. I don't even, it's not even that I don't want to do it. Like there are things I pay other people to do that I don't want to do, like cut my yard, but I could cut my yard. I mean, I have to buy a lawnmower and stuff, but I could do it. Um, You know, I could change my tire if I had a flat tire. I could do that. I don't want to. I get somebody else to do it. But with this, like assembling things, I cannot assemble things. I even you give me the directions. I just I won't follow them. I'll get frustrated. There's be like seven screws left over, and it won't look right or work right. So if I had a lot of stuff to assemble, we we would hire somebody to assemble. But I think as I'm running through it right now, most of the presents this year, I can't speak for Santa, of course, but most of the presents this year are like, um, you know, they're ready to go. So I think we're in we're in good shape. And to your point, I don't wrap anything. My wife wraps everything. And then, uh, you know, she can get her presents in like a bag with some tissue paper and stuff. Uh, I'm doing, see, I got, you see that behind me? We did, uh, my fam, we did on my wife's side, we did, um, what's it called? Pollyanna. So it's not Secret Santa. You know who's giving you the gift. It's not a surprise, but you, we just did a drawing there. So I, I, I went with the, I went with the bag method on a number of them. And uh, anything you're hoping from Santa this year, GP? Me? Yeah. No, I'm terrible to buy for um, because I when I want something, I just get it. So so by the time Christmas comes around, I don't want for anything. Like I'm really difficult to buy for. Like my mother, my father, my wife, they're all like, what do you want for Christmas? Nothing. And I, I mean that sincerely because I have everything I want. I have everything I want. There is nothing that I desire, you know, from a that, that could be wrapped and presented as a present. So. Like last night, we had a, a little family get like one side of the family came over here and everybody got presents. I really don't think I got a present, like not even one. I don't think I got a present. I, I might have been the only person in the house who got n- no presents. And like it's my, it, and I don't even blink. 
because I tell everybody, don't worry about it. Cause I've I got everything I need. Just focus on the kids. I don't need anything. I'm good. Look at that. I got a Mets hat. What else do I need? You got a Mets hat and you got Correa. I got Carlos Correa. And, Ver- and Verlander, right? Got Justin Verlander. And Good. Brandon Nimmo and Edwin D. I got enough. Steve, Cohen, Steve Cohen's your Santa. <laughs> like, yes. That's it. Yes. I don't need anything from my wife or my parents. I just need Steve Cohen to spend $500 million on a baseball payroll. Man, oh, man. How about that? I dig it. Uh, by the way, I wanted to give TJ Harrego a shout because he just he's, he felt obligated to email this and only this. Hello? I'm one of us, parentheses, pro premarital sex. Let's go Canes and Skyhawks. <laughs> <laughs> and shout to CBS at gmail.com. We appreciate all of the uh, the random notes. There are a couple other good ones, but we are running late. It is uh, it is Festivus Christmas Eve Eve. To everyone who's listening, we appreciate you all so much. Hope you have a wonderful, safe Christmas slash holiday weekend. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all of it. We appreciate you. I'm sure many of you are listening to this literally as you travel from one place to another, either on Friday or Saturday, potentially even Sunday. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We will not have a Sunday episode. It is Christmas. Go enjoy time with the people that you want to spend time with most. And uh, there are no games to recap, really. We got DePaul versus Creighton on Christmas Day. Can't promise you I'll be locked into that one. We will have a year in review special coming early next week. So be on the lookout for that. But in absence of a Sunday episode, we wanted to give you a, a beefy Christmas mailbag special. So thank you so much. Continue to send any questions, thoughts, tweet us, leave them. By the way, Apple comments, as well, the reviews as well. GP says that to tag every episode. But if you genuinely like you've made this our biggest year ever in terms of downloads, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it, it, it certainly helps if you are if you listen on Apple and you haven't left a review, like drop a comment, a question. We appreciate that as well. Hope Santa treats you well and uh, everyone has a wonderful Christmas. We don't take you for granted and uh, have a safe one and we'll have a another little special bonus episode early next week when we look back at some of the biggest stuff that happened this year in college basketball. I don't appreciate all of you. Again, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to spread uh, peace, goodwill and cheer to all and um, I appreciate I appreciate most of you okay. like almost all of you but some of some of you irritate me if I'm being honest. Some of you get on my nerves a little bit. I gave you the chance during the Festivus segment earlier, and you passed. Yeah, I like most. Okay. I like most. I'd say up above 90% even. But, like, eh, I can't I can't go all the way there with you. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate most of you. Some of you. Some of you I could have a talking to with, you know? <laughs> Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Donner and Blitzen. Shouts to Donner and Blitzen. RJ Melendez. Someone says, sorry, my friend says RJ Melendez. Shouts to <laughs> That's pretty Huck good. Monkey. That's pretty good. Macaroni and a pot. There we go. Get a bucket and a mop. If you're over at Apple, five stars. Leave a nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. Got to work on that train song. Yeah. Well, now that we know how to rhyme R.J. Melendez, I feel like the rest of it is just going to fall right into place. You know? I think the rest of it will probably just... Probably. Didn't... uh, Who was that band in the 90s that had Runaway Train? Soul Asylum. I wonder if Soul Asylum... Runaway Train never come back. That's about Illinois. (laughs) Oh, God. Soul Asylum wrote that about Illinois. People don't realize that. It's one of those things people don't realize. Enjoy your holiday. We're going to talk to you again real soon.
Till then, take care. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.